Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. Today's show, we are continuing our series on the Augsburg Confession, today covering Article 15 on Church Ceremonies. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And my companion confessor in conversation about this article today is Pastor Anthony Dodgers. He is pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Charlotte, Iowa. Pastor Dodgers, welcome to Concord Matters. Thanks, Sean. It's really great to be here, and I'm excited to talk about this particular article because it helps us start to get into some of the thornier questions of how do we actually act in the church and how do we comport ourselves in our services. Absolutely, and we're excited to have you on and to talk about that. But before we get into talking about this article on church ceremonies today, a couple of other things I also want to mention. First, I've made mention a couple of times in passing here the last couple of weeks that I have accepted a call and will be moving to, well, be there in Iowa with you, Pastor Dodgers, though about three and a half hours north and west of you, but uh, still in the Iowa East District. And I'll be moving this week, tomorrow actually, and getting ready to be installed as pastor of Bethlehem Evangelical Lutheran Congregation in Mason City, Iowa next week. And we're excited for this new posting and servicing God's kingdom for ministry and confessing the faith there with the saints in Mason City, Iowa, even as we're sad to leave the dear saints of Emmanuel and St. Paul's here in Southern Illinois. And we pray and ask for your prayers also that the Lord would bless them with another pastor to serve them in word and sacrament ministry here soon. But as far as this show goes, I'm happy to share that KFEO will graciously allow me to continue as host of this show from Mason City. And in talking with the congregation there in Mason City, they are also graciously happy to support me in continuing with the show. And so I'm honored and pleased for the opportunity to be able to continue with Concord Matters. For now, I don't think that there should be any interruptions in producing new episodes as I move and get settled in there in Iowa. But also my wife and I are expecting our third child to be born shortly after we move to Iowa. So, of course, I need to make sure that my primary responsibilities as pastor and with my family are all faithfully fulfilled. So just in case there is any need for interruptions and new episodes coming each week, I apologize and just wanted to make you, our wonderful and supportive listeners, aware of that and to say that we thank you for your prayers and support as we move and get settled in and welcome a new baby and everything going on in life for us personally. But aside from the prayers and support from me and my family personally, today this is also a special KFUO Shareathon episode. And so we especially want to thank our wonderful listeners and your very gracious and fantastic support of this show and the other Christ Confessing shows of KFUO Radio. Truly, we are so grateful for your support that make it possible for myself and Pastor Dodgers and the other great pastors and guests that we have here on Concord Matters and KFUO to confess and teach the faith 
which is what we love to do. So with all of that, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. But I think we should get to doing what we are here to do, especially as with the special share episode today, we will have a few more breaks than usual. So let's get to confessing the faith and into this article 15 on church ceremonies from the Augsburg Confession. And I'll just start by reading the article in its entirety. And of course, on this show, we read from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And this is Article 15 from the Augsburg Confession on Church Ceremonies. Our churches teach that ceremonies ought to be observed that may be observed without sin. Also, ceremonies and other practices that are profitable for tranquility and good order in the church, in particular holy days, festivals, and the like, ought to be observed. Yet the people are taught that consciences are not to be burdened as though observing such things was necessary for salvation. And they cite Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. They are also taught that human traditions instituted to make atonement with God, to merit grace, and to make satisfaction for sins are opposed to the gospel and the doctrine of faith. So vows and traditions concerning meats and days and so forth instituted to merit grace and to make satisfaction for sins are useless and contrary to the gospel. All right, that is the entirety of Article 15 from the Augsburg Confession on Church Ceremonies. Uh, Pastor Dodgers, as we get into this then, all right, so the Augsburg Confession states that ceremonies ought to be observed that may be observed without sin. And I guess kind of an elementary question in some sense, but a very important question, I think, is, all right, well, what would that include? What would these ceremonies be that may be observed without sin? And what are the Lutheran confessors getting at here in their confession with talking about these ceremonies? So go ahead and get us into that there, Pastor Dodgers. I think one of the terms that gets thrown around a lot uh, in our Lutheran circles is this word adiaphora. And that does sort of apply with what we're talking about here, these human ceremonies in the church. These are things that are neither commanded nor forbidden by God. So certainly the things that are forbidden by God, you can't observe those without sin. They're already sinful in and of themselves. The things that are commanded by God, those you certainly must observe, right? And so it's not sinful to do those. But things that are neither commanded nor forbidden, these sort of human ceremonies, could go either way. They can be sinful and they can also be beneficial. So the phrase that the confession uses to describe these types of ceremonies are ones that are created by humans, but they are profitable for tranquility and good order. So these are these ceremonies, these orders for the church help us in our life as the church, as sort of a community, a congregation or a group of congregations so that we can live together in harmony and not in chaos. So we all sort of know what to expect of each other and can get along when we all know that we're on the same page, more or less. The German term is actually Kirchenordnung, which means church order. So I think that could actually be maybe a helpful way to translate the title of the article on church orders, because in the Lutheran territories during the Reformation and afterwards, there were actually documents, written documents called church orders. 
which prescribed life in the church for either a city or a territory. And these written orders, they planned out what life in the church looked like. In fact, probably for most of us, it seems a little restrictive. They really, they told you everything that needed to happen in your church or your school. They prescribed, you know, what services would be held on what days, uh, the sort of orders of service, who was singing, you know, if you had a school, when does the boys choir sing, that sort of thing. What's the pastor going to preach on, you know, on the chief Sunday service, he's preaching on the gospel, but some of the Vespers services, he's preaching on the catechism and some of the other midweek services, he's preaching on a particular, just preaching through one of the gospels. These church orders went beyond the liturgical life of the church and gave the governance of the schools and various charities that the churches ran in their territories. A couple of the famous church orders are known by their authors, Bugenhagen and Chemnitz, for example. These men wrote some of these documents that described or prescribed really actually what life in those particular churches would look like. And these are not divinely mandated documents. These were human documents, but they were written for the purpose of, uh, again, tranquility and good order so that we can all kind of get along and things will run smoothly. As you talk about church orders there, that reminds me of our guest, Pastor Kyle Mietzner, who was on last week and talked about the preceding article, Article 14, which is called Order in the Church, right? That's how we title it in our reader's edition anyway. And we talked about how, you know, order is the root of the word ordained and and that function within the pastoral office. And he made the point again and again that order in the church is certainly very desirable in scripture and we want to have these orders. And he also made the point that in setting up this episode for you this week, that as it was originally presented before the emperor, you know, there wasn't really a break in there like we tend to have in our, say, reader's edition with editor's notes and things like that. It, It flowed right from order in the church, you know, in terms of the pastoral office into these church orders, these church ceremonies. And so I like how you've highlighted and made that connection here, too, of that this is a part of the order of the church. Did you have any other further thoughts on that connection there? No, I think you said it really well. And I was kind of thinking along the same lines. It makes sense that these two articles go hand in hand. This is how the church is to be organized because, you know, yes, the church is invisible, uh, you know, in its pure sense, and it is a communion of saints. Yet, on the other hand, the church is a physical gathering of people in this earth, and that comprises sinners, and you need some sort of order, some sort of regulation Uh, not in a legalistic way, but you need some sort of order to make communal life possible. You know, society just doesn't work very well when everything's in chaos. Absolutely. And it also makes me think that as we talked about in that article, of course, you have scripture that both prescribes the order for pastors and it also describes 
the pastors and how we see the call there and, and not so much the prescribed for the calling of pastors in scripture uh, as we talked about last week but yet when we get to these ceremonies sometimes what's thrown around in here as i think you said in your setup was the thornier issues that come up in the church part of that debate of those thorny issues is you know well how does scripture talk about this then and so I think that's an important place to go here. And uh, about four minutes or so before we need to take this first break. So maybe we only scratch the surface and then we'll take up more on the other side of a break here. But begin this discussion then of how Scripture talks about things that ought to be excluded and considered under there, but then also things that can be included here. Right. So to start with things that need to be excluded from the church, again, these are not, we're not talking about things that God has already forbidden. That's black and white. If God has forbidden it in scripture, then you and I don't need to talk about it at all because that's done. That's easy, right? It's the stuff that he's not expressly stated in scripture where we have the kind of debate about, all right, is this something we can do without sin or not? So the things that are not explicitly mentioned by God in scripture, but must still be excluded from the church are those ceremonies that teach that make it seem as though that we can, in the words of the confession, that we can make atonement with God, merit grace, and make satisfaction for sins. Those three things, atonement with God, merit grace, make satisfaction for sins, those are things only Christ can do that, right? Those all describe the work of Christ, and so they cannot describe any human invented ceremony. If you come up with a ceremony that claims to do one of those things, then you are robbing glory from Christ. And we can't have that in the church, right? So only the death, resurrection, and mediation of Christ can make atonement with God. And if any of our ceremonies give the impression of trying to do that or come right out and say, we are meriting grace by our human observances and customs, then those need to be excluded. Absolutely. One of the things that my mind always jumps to on that is, uh, and it's not cited here, I I always say this too much on this show probably, but if I were writing the Augsburg Confession, I would have cited some other Bible passages, but yeah, I always think too. of Galatians 4, you know, especially 8 through 11 there where, uh, you know, St. Paul is writing to the Galatian church about how they keep submitting they're submitting themselves to slavery again by obeying these things. We kind of see that with the Roman Catholic Church here. But, of course, there's much more to come in the apology on this as well. So that's what we'll pick up on some of this, you know, how we understand these things that stand contrary to Christ and thus should be excluded, and how we get that biblical and confessional view from the other documents that we have in the confessions, that is, on the other side of the break. Again, as we have this special Sherathon, KFO Sherathon episode here today, just a reminder for our listeners first, thank you so much for supporting this wonderful work as we recognize the confessions themselves wouldn't even exist if not for the generous benefactors in their own day that made it possible. We certainly thank our listeners that support and allow us to continue to confess Christ here on KFO Radio. And if you'd like to support that work, you can do so by going online to kfuo.org and click the donate button. You can also text by typing KFUO into your message box and send it to the number 41444, and you'll receive a message with a link to complete your gift there. 
or you can do so by phone and they'll give you that number to call as we take you back to those who are in our KFUO studios. On the other side of the break, we'll go ahead and pick up our discussion of Article 15 on church ceremonies with our guest today, Pastor Anthony Dodgers. And I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO share is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone, and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit KFUO.org and click on the Donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Concord Matters with our special KFUO share episode here today with our guest, Pastor Anthony Dodgers. He's pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Charlotte, Iowa, and we are discussing Article 15 from the Augsburg Confession on church ceremonies. And Pastor Dodgers, right before our break here, I was setting up that, you know, I would decide Galatians 4, 8 through 11 because, you know, St. Paul is addressing the church there of how They've made a law into the, all of these sorts of things that detract from the gospel and detract from Christ. And that's definitely what's going on at the time of the Reformation and what the, the Lutheran confessors are kind of prodding them with here in their confession with this article. And of course, the apology gets a lot deeper into this and brings out a lot more scripture passages and is something that we definitely want to bring in to this discussion here as we have this discussion about church ceremonies and their place within the church and what ought to be excluded and all of those sorts of things that we're setting up here. So go ahead and get us into the apology and some of the things that they take up there. All right. So the apology, as probably your listeners know, is written in response to the confutation after the Augsburg Confession was presented. The Roman Catholic theologians responded to that by writing their confutation where they either accepted an article or they rejected it and gave their reasons. And I say that because in the apology, then the Lutheran reformers come back and say, okay, so they accepted this article or they didn't accept this. And here it's a little funny because the reformers act kind of surprised. I'm not sure if they should be surprised, but they say, you know, that they thought the adversaries the Roman Catholic theologians would accept their article that you would, of course, not do ceremonies that can merit salvation. That's right out because only Christ can merit salvation. And yet in the confutation that is rejected, that is condemned by the Roman Catholic theologians. And so the reformers come back and act kind of surprised or shocked that they have to argue this point that we cannot merit the forgiveness of sins by celebrating human ceremonies or human traditions. And so they really come back hard at this because it is, you know, as I said, it's robbing the glory from Christ. It's attacking the gospel itself. And they say this at the very beginning in the Apology, Article 15, they say the adversaries are now openly Judaizing, that is, 
a term for, you know, what some of the people in the church in Acts were doing when they're saying that Gentiles must keep the law of Moses in order to become members of the Christian church. So the reformers say that the papists are openly Judaizing. They are openly hindering the gospel by the doctrines of demons. And that's not just the Lutherans being hyperbolic. They're quoting 1 Timothy chapter 4 there, where Paul explicitly says, you know, people who forbid marriage and teach that some food can be eaten and some food cannot be eaten that renders you clean or unclean. Paul says those are the doctrines of demons. They also quote some other good passages, one being Matthew 15, where Jesus says of the Jews of his day, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the Pharisees, the rabbis did this in Jesus' day, and the Lutherans are saying the Roman Catholics are now doing this in their day too, that they take a tradition of man and turn it into a doctrine of God and claim that we must observe it. Really, they go even farther than besides comparing the Roman Catholics to the Judaizers and the Pharisees, they actually just go right for it and say, if the Roman church, if the papacy is going to do this, if they are going to set up their human traditions as the doctrines of God, which merit grace and atone for sins, then the papacy will be part of the kingdom of Antichrist. That's uh, their explicit statement in paragraph 18. They say, the kingdom of Antichrist is a new service of God devised by human authority rejecting Christ. That's what Antichrist really is. It is being against the atoning work of Christ and offering new services to God, man-made services to God to atone for sins. And so the reformers say, if that's really what the Roman Catholics are arguing for, well, then that puts them in the kingdom of Antichrist. As you were uh, talking there, the thing that jumps out for a lot of folks is this idea of the Antichrist and being opposed to the work of Christ. And that's certainly a great concern that we want to have that, as you've said several times, you know, anything that we do within the church, if it's against what Christ would have us do or against what scripture prescribes, then obviously it should be excluded. And when we get that, but part of that discussion then too, I think comes in also, you know, that we're talking about some of these church ceremonies that are not necessarily prescribed in scripture, but aren't against scripture either. And you use that term there, adiaphora, before. And, you know, of course, that's a term that we don't get here, but definitely comes and is used very commonly in our Lutheran language from the uh, formula of Concord, uh, Article 10 on church practices. That's the main term that's used in that discussion there, which is a similar and related discussion on this confessional point here, right? So, how do we understand then some of these practices that aren't necessarily commanded in scripture then either, but can be beneficial for our use as well. Well, the Lutherans, reformers, they do bring this up in the apology. They don't just attack the Roman Catholics' claims. 
they say one of the main reasons for observing these ceremonies that don't compete with Christ for his glory, it might sound mundane, but it's so that people know what's going on. It's again, going back to that phrase that these ceremonies promote peace and good order. You know, making everything up as you go, not having sort of a standard order or norm for your practice or your, you know, your liturgy or how your church runs, just kind of making it up on the fly. Uh, that's very stressful. It requires a lot of energy, right? And it just isn't a good use of your time as a pastor or a church leader or as a layperson that you're just constantly, you know, if you never know what's going to happen in worship, then you're just in the pew scrambling through the book or through the bulletin trying to figure out what's going on next. And that kind of thing where the leaders are sort of just making it up as they go also usually leads to some sort of personality cult so that, you know, people go to that church because the way the pastor runs things is really cool and they like that and not because it's just what the church does and it's tied to that one man. Uh, I like what the reformers say in the uh, sort of the second half of the Apology, Article 15. They say, we cheerfully maintain the old traditions made in the church. I like that they use that word cheerfully there. You know, do you think the Book of Concord is just a, a dry, boring old book? But uh, no, they were cheerful when they wrote this because they loved the gospel, they loved God's word, and they loved the traditions of their church. It's really, it's saying, you know, these are our traditions, our ceremonies, our order. This is our family. We inherit this way of organizing the church and doing our services in the church. We inherit that from our fathers and mothers in the faith. You know, the liturgy shouldn't just be our new thing that we came up with yesterday. If the church really is the family of God, then the liturgy should be a lot more like Christmas dinner at grandma's house. You know what you're going to get. It's what we always do, right? There's a certain easiness, sort of certainty of knowing what to expect in your family home. And so also in the church, because we've inherited this from those who have gone before us. The reformers explicitly mention the fathers, sort of in general, just the fathers of the church here. They say the fathers celebrated human rights for the body's benefit. Distinctions of times and the variety of rights help in reminding the common people. So here, what the reformers are saying is that these human ceremonies that can be observed without sin are useful for teaching. They're useful for disciplining the body, and they're also useful to just regulating the general populace, the sort of the you know, in any congregation, you got a few people that are always in the know. They know what's coming up and what's going on and all that. And they're usually the leaders that kind of, you know, organize things. But most of the people just, you know, tell them when to show up, you know, what time. And they just need something that's basically standardized and understood so that they're not lost and confused. Uh, another part of the apology in Article 24 makes this even more explicit where it says that 
ceremonies should be celebrated to teach people scripture, that those admonished by the word may conceive faith and godly fear and may also pray. This is the intent of ceremonies. So the reason we do want to keep good human traditions in the church is because they teach the gospel. They teach scripture. Uh, Going back to Apology 15, it describes what Lutherans do. It describes some of these customs that they have inherited from their fathers in the faith. They write, Among us, many use the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day. They do so after they have been first instructed, examined, and absolved. The children sing psalms in order that they may learn. The people also sing so that they may either learn or pray. And it also goes on to describe in great detail how pastors are to preach. So there we see how these ceremonies are for the good order of the church, so people know what's going on, so that they can learn and so that they can regularly take part in the church's life of worship and receiving the sacraments. Besides teaching, These ceremonies can also help foster and maintain unity. So one last quote from the Apology, Article 15, it says, Nothing in customary rites should be changed without a reasonable cause. So to nurture unity, old customs that can be kept without sin or great inconvenience should be kept. This shows a great deference to our fathers and mothers in the faith, I think. This is how the Reformers... Uh, how the church of every generation is to keep the fourth commandment in respect to our ancestors, that we honor what they did. Uh, It doesn't mean we do it exactly the way they did in every case, but we honor them. We respect them. We realize that they know more than us, and we first trust them. When we look at ceremonies in the church or how we organize our life in the church, our first attitude should be to look at our fathers and the faith and trust them. And then if we notice that they are in error in some point, if we notice that, oh, they started to allow this ceremony that is actually sinful, all right, then we can make corrections. But our first plan is not to just sweep away what our fathers have done before us, but to learn from it and make good use of it in our day. As you gave us that quote there from the Apology, you use terms that become quite thorny at times in the church of, you know, old customs, you know, or we might talk about, you know, traditional worship or, you know, those sorts of things. And obviously it's tied to traditions, these human traditions that are talked about here in this article. And I think we need to talk more about that, especially as you also brought in earlier You brought in Article uh, 24 from the Apology that these ceremonies are useful to teach and so forth. And of course, that article is on the Mass. And we also have there as well that they say in the Augsburg Confession, Article 24, nearly all the usual ceremonies have been preserved among us, right? You know, we're, we're falsely accused of abolishing the Mass and we've kept these traditions. We've kept these traditional terms. And as those are kind of controversial things and You even talked about, you know, sort of the idea of, you know, the cult of personality and so forth, where they kind of make up their own, you know, orders, if you will, and so forth. And very rarely, even with those, do you see those changing from week to week? You know, they form their own order. I mean, 
we are people created by a God of order. By nature, we're going to be orderly people. The difference is, is are you creating your own order or are you following an order that's given to you? And so I think we need to talk about this. Of why is it beneficial that the Lutheran confessors continually say that we preserve those traditions, those orders that we have inherited from the previous generations? But we're going to take another break here, and so we'll pick that up on the other side of this break. Again, as we have this special KFUO share episode today, we have a few more breaks in here, but we thank our listeners for your wonderful support to let us talk about these things and to confess the faith. And if you would like to continue to support that, you can go online to kfuo.org and click the donate button, or you can text KFUO into your message box and send it to the number 41444 and you'll receive a message with a link to complete your gift there. Or you can do so by phone, and our wonderful folks back in the KFUO studios will give you that number here in this break immediately of where you can call and continue to support this. And we'll come back after this to continue talking about Article 15 from the Augsburg Confession here on Church Ceremonies with our guest today, Pastor Anthony Dodgers. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. The word of Christ comes forth from his mouth as a sharp, two-edged sword. By that word, he puts our sin to death, and he raises us to new life in him. Join me, Pastor Timothy Apple, on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on KFUO, as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters for this special KFO Sherathon episode today. And we continue talking with our guest, Pastor Anthony Dodgers. He's pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Charlotte, Iowa. And Pastor Dodgers, we were talking Augsburg Confession, Article 15 on church ceremonies and set up just before that break there that we say again and again in our Augsburg Confession in various places and ways that we preserve these traditions, these human traditions that we have inherited from the church. You know, we get rid of the things. Uh, Certainly that comes out in Article 24 that we talked about and brought in there as well. We get rid of the things that are contrary to, well, Christ. I mean, you, you talked about the Antichrist and all of those important connections there as well. But, you know, we do preserve a lot. And the Lutheran Reformation was a very conservative Reformation. We you know, I kind of take it and my great hero that I bring up on the show all the time, CFW Walther does as well. You know, when people say, well, that's Roman Catholic, generally they're talking about external things that they can see. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, we're evangelical Catholics. I mean, we kept a lot of those sorts of things and they get much less concerned about things that they see in American evangelicalism that actually are <laughs> pretty Roman Catholic in their theology that we ought to reject. But, uh, we can get on that soapbox another time, or feel free to do it today. I'll, it's your show. I'll leave it to you. Okay. <laughs> You're the guest today anyway. I'll leave it to you. Okay. But uh, as we talk about here about these traditions and ceremonies that we have preserved, I do want to dig into this here because I think this is an important focus of this article is, you know, why is it beneficial? Why do the Lutheran confessors want to preserve these traditions? And why might it be important for us to consider recovering some of those things? and preserving them even into our own day and age here in the 21st century. Well, I'm glad that you used that phrase, conservative reformation. I was going to do it too. 
you know, we didn't invent that phrase that as far as I know, it comes from another American Lutheran, Charles Portfield Krauth, labeling the Lutheran Reformation as a conservative one, that our default position as Lutherans, when we look at the heritage of the church, the traditions of the church, how we live and act in the church, our default position is to not change things, actually. We're not radicals. Uh, you know, it says at the end of the article that we read before the break that nothing in customary rights should be changed without a reasonable cause. So actually, we kind of stay the same. And as I said, we trust our fathers in the faith. Another way to think of it is the church is our mother. And you don't just you know, take everything that your mother ever said or taught you or did and just throw it out the window. No, you cherish it. And, you know, you don't do everything in your home the same way that your parents did, but you do take what is best and preserve that. The uh, reformers also mentioned at the end of this article in the Apology, they said that the repeal of ceremonies has its own evils and its own questions. And that actually came up for them when Luther was away, when he was in the Wartburg. A bunch of stuff started happening in Wittenberg, some sort of riots, some disturbances started uh, breaking out. And the more radical reformers in Wittenberg at the time, like Karlstadt, started throwing out all kinds of old customs all at once without any teaching, without really looking at it and saying, is this something we need to get rid of? Is it something that is sinful, or is this actually a good ceremony for good order and for peace? And so when Luther came back, he had to kind of put the brakes on things and say, no, we don't need to just tear things down. We can preserve what is good, even while we you know, purify some of these human traditions of their abuses. In our day, I think we should have the same mentality that Luther did where it's, okay, we might need to purify some traditions, but we're not going to just tear things down. I think that mentality is incredibly important for us as Christians in our society, because as we look around, just about everyone else in our society has the mindset of, we need to tear things down. We aren't going to preserve the past. We're going to destroy it and rewrite it. There's so many things over the last few years that have changed radically in our world, uh, you kind of don't know what's left that's sure and certain. What can you kind of rely on? And, uh, you know, where do you come from? What's your background? We almost can't answer that question in our society anymore because our society has convinced itself that the past is evil and it cannot give us any answers. And so we're left to create those answers on our own. I would say that the church then is more than ever should be the one to stand firm and to kind of really show that we don't change. You know, it's Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it's Christ who and his message that does not change. But so also the church, as we practice our various human ceremonies in the church, how we organize our life in the church, we can demonstrate that unchangingness of Christ in how we live and order our lives. I think people in our society are looking for something that's stable, something that's reliable, something that is connected to the past. 
if I can kind of go on a little bit of a tangent here, I'd say that over the past few centuries, really from the Enlightenment onward, we have taught people that they are what they make themselves, that you are an individual, just totally isolated, and you can rule your own destiny disconnected from the past, that the past doesn't need to define you because by your reason or by your power, you can create your own identity. And, you know, something like transgenderism is really only the latest fruit of that ideology that started back in the Enlightenment. It's the most obvious fruit, right, where you can, you can create your own identity even to the point of making your identity contradict your God-given biological sex. But uh, it has its roots in this idea that we are just a blank slate. We can make ourselves whatever we want to be because, you know, we are, well, the authors of our, of our own life, you know, that we determine what is true for ourselves by our own use of reason or by our own grasping of power. And man, uh, you know, we as individuals become the final judge and arbiter of reality. And so when you've told people that for a long time, when you've told a whole society that you've taught them this for centuries or decades, that they're a blank slate and they can create themselves out of nothing, however they want, well, is it any wonder that people are so confused nowadays, that they don't know who they are? I mean, do we realize how paralyzing that actually is to say, you're nothing, you're a total blank slate, totally free individual disconnected from anything and anyone now go ahead and make yourself like that it's limitless i mean you're telling these people you're telling this person to go ahead and be god and answer all the questions for their life without having anything to fall back on any story any history that can help inform them of who they are who they belong to where can they find their identity the church needs to combat this by constantly telling the story of who God is and who we are. And that's just preaching God's word, right? And the history of the church can contribute to this understanding of our identity. Again, I want to use the analogy that the church is a family. Uh, and like every family, we have our traditions. And those traditions are what help keep the story alive, the story of who you are. You know, your traditions, your family, your house, your home, it helps keep alive the stories of who is that family, what sets us apart from other people, what makes us unique. And the same in the church. These traditions, these ceremonies, they help keep that story alive of who we are in Christ. And that can give us some uh, sure footing as we face a world that is so lost and confused. I really like what you set up there that, you know, essentially these ceremonies and traditions in the church really form and teach, as we talked about earlier, what our identity is and ground us in that. And that, as I think you excellently highlighted, I don't think that that's a tangent at all. I think as we divorce ourselves from these things that have traditionally there, I use that word there, you know, yeah. traditionally formed this identity, 
Well, is it any wonder that our world has an identity crisis and is just really craving this? Yeah. And what the church has always had to offer is that not only is your identity within this family of the church, but that is the family of God with Christ as our brother. Christ is your identity. Your identity is in Christ when you are a baptized child of God. And so, of course, that's going to connect us to Article 4 upon that chief doctrine which the church stands or falls. And we certainly want to talk about how that relates to then our understanding, again, of these church ceremonies and traditions that we practice within the church. And we talked about why some are excluded because they stand opposed to that, but how they helpfully then, and things that we do include in these, form and teach that identity that we have grounded in Christ. So that we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. We'll take our last break here again on this special KFO Sherathon episode. We thank our listeners for wonderfully supporting this work and allowing us to talk about this, not just today, but all throughout the year. And so if you'd like to continue supporting that, you can go online to kfo.org and click the donate button. You can type KFO into your message box and text that to the number 41444 and you'll receive a message with a link to complete your gift or you can do so by phone and they'll give you that number to call as we take you back to those who are in our KFUO studios. So uh, we'll pick up on the other side of the break our identity that is formed and shaped by these traditions with our guest today, Pastor Anthony Dodgers. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO Sherathon is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit kfuo.org and click on the donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue this special KFUO Sherathon episode here today with our guest, Pastor Anthony Dodgers. He's pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Charlotte, Iowa. And Pastor Dodgers, we were talking here in Article 15 of the Augsburg Confession on Church Ceremonies here, uh, just kind of the contemporary applications, if you will, of how important this confession is still in our world today. Namely, that these church ceremonies, the rites that we have in the church and the traditions that we have in the church and all of these things, they really form and teach. And of those two, teaching is certainly important, but I really like to hone in on that it forms your identity. And of course, what the church seeks to do is to form that identity in Christ, which relates to our justification in Christ and how he brings us into himself and makes us a part of the family of God. And this all relates to that chief doctrine of our church upon which all of this confession stands or falls, which is our justification in Christ. And so I know you have some points to make here on the importance of church ceremonies and that identity as well. So go ahead and get us into that with this last segment here today. Sure. You said, you know, that our identity is to be found in Christ. 
what characterizes that identity. It is freedom, right? That we are free. The sun sets us free, so we are free indeed. And if we think about the freedom of a Christian, kind of in Luther's terms, it means that we are the free Lord of all, subject to none, and yet we are also the dutiful servant of all, subject to all. The freedom that we have in Christ allows us to freely submit then to our neighbors. And I think in the question of church ceremonies, I sort of referenced before that we get these traditions, we get these old customs from our fathers and mothers in the faith. And so by keeping them, it is a way of keeping the fourth commandment. And so when we think about our freedom in Christ, we realize that we can freely submit ourselves to our fathers in the faith. We can freely submit to these human customs and traditions. We submit then as sons, because sons are free. We do not submit as slaves. And actually, to anybody that sort of thinks, well, if I'm going to be free, then I should be allowed to throw off the shackles of the past. You just called the past your shackles. That means you are not thinking of the past as your father. You're not thinking of yourself as a son, which means you are not thinking of yourself as free in Christ. Really, if you think that you need to throw off the past, like some shackles that you need to set yourself free from what your fathers have done before you, then you really are not thinking as a son. You are thinking as a slave, and you're only going to get new slave masters in your new situation. If you think of yourself as a slave, you're always going to find yourself under the dominion of some sort of a slave master. And that's partly because there's always going to be some order, some hierarchy, some authority in this world to regulate things. And you can either have the authority of a father over a son and be a free son in your father's house and freely submit to him, or you can have the authority and tyranny of the slave master. Uh, I'll also add that the tyranny of the present time, you know, our time that we find ourselves in, it's always far more demanding than the great tradition of the past. Because if you look at history and history, even in the Christian church, it encompasses so much, you know, such a great rich heritage from so many different fathers in the faith that we have that we are actually given a great deal of variety in the traditions of the church. Whereas if we just want to limit ourselves to the present time and what we immediately see in our own world, we're actually limiting ourselves quite a bit and limit ourselves just to the, the here and now that's going to be gone, you know, pretty soon anyways. So we can freely submit to our fathers in the faith and we can receive the best of what has come before us in these old customs, in these traditions or church ceremonies. While we always use, uh, we always keep the gospel as our touchstone, the thing that tests all of these traditions. It's our, you know, our guiding light. Uh, do these ceremonies confess the gospel or do they in some way 
deny the gospel. If they deny the gospel, then yeah, they got to go. But if they confess the gospel in some way, then let's keep them, let's cherish them. So the question we can always be asking is, how do we best confess Christ and his work, his saving work, by our ceremony in the church? And maybe one example would be the ceremonies around the Lord's Supper. There's a great deal of wonderful old tradition and custom going on in our services of the sacrament. And the point is that we want to make it clear that this is no ordinary bread or wine. This is the true body and blood of Christ. We want to make it clear that Christ himself, our Lord, our incarnate God who was crucified and is risen, he is present here in his body and blood. And so that is why the customs of our church, the ceremonies, are trying to point that reality out to us. That's why the pastor is vested to mark him as a servant at the Lord's table. And both the pastor and the people will at various times bow or kneel before this, uh, what looks just like bread and wine, but is actually the Lord's own body and blood. The vessels that carry the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, they are beautiful. They are treated with care and with reverence. All of these old customs are trying to confess the truth that the king of the universe is here. He's giving his feast of salvation to us. And there is a proper fitting way to respond when heaven comes down to earth. There is a right way to respond to that. And there is a wrong way to respond to that. You know, we can see in the Bible how people respond when angels show up or when the Lord himself shows up. And that should inform how we respond as well. Those old customs that we inherit from the wisdom of our fathers and mothers in the faith, they teach us how to respond in the proper and fitting way when our Lord himself is present. We realize that none of the ceremonies that we do in church, not even the bowing, you know, or kneeling, or the precious vessels, or the vestments, or any of those things, the candles, none of it merits salvation. Christ alone did that. But all that we do confesses Christ. It all must confess his gospel. It must all loudly proclaim, both in word and in deed, that we have free forgiveness found here in his holy blood. I think that's an excellent point to make there. And I always use this example that in my celebration of the Lord's Supper, I very intentionally do the genuflecting when I speak the words of institution. I'm always very clear. I always teach my people and make it very clear to them. I am not doing this because it's mandated by the church or anything like that. I'm not doing it because it somehow makes it more holy or, or anything like that. I'm doing it simply to teach and to show you and to remind all of us, and especially myself, that at these words, Christ has connected himself to this bread and to this wine, that it is his true body and blood. And just the fact that I do that and kneel, I mean, we just don't see that in our culture at all anymore, right? It's going to stand out. And 
you know, sometimes people think, well, you know, oh, you're just doing it to show off or, you know, things like that. And it's like, well, you have a funny way of understanding what it is to show off if you think that. I mean, <laughs> I've had knee surgeries, right? You know, it's it's not exactly fun to kneel, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's important in this sense that it reminds us once again, as you said so well there, that, you know, we're, we're in the presence of our God and creator, and he has brought himself into our presence and given us this divine means to give us the forgiveness. It's going to teach us that. And I argue, on the other hand, you know, kind of the other piece to this discussion then is, you know, we can talk about, as St. Paul says, you know, all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial, right? And I think we can talk about that in terms of the ceremonies and traditions that we use as well, right? You know, that everything we do says something about what we believe. It teaches something. And I think that this is often lost in this discussion of, do we have to do it with the traditional liturgical order and rites and traditions and ceremonies with the genuflecting and all of those other stuff, the vestments and things like that? Uh, no, we don't have to, right? This is that adiaphora word that we've talked about. But at the same time, it says something and teaches something. And I'm very intentional of also teaching why it is and what it is that we want it to teach. You know, we need to do that as well. But when you're casual around it, I think that that teaches something too. You know, when you just kind of flippantly say, yeah, we're doing communion today and, you know, kind of anybody come up and, you know, it's just this kind of casual nature. Well, I think that says something about the Lord's Supper as well. And it's not something that we as Lutherans believe, according to scripture, is true about the Lord's Supper when you're casual towards it. And so I think that that's part of the discussion as well. Uh, just a couple minutes here, but did you want to respond to that at all? No, I think that that's a really excellent point because, uh, yeah, we don't have to do it that way, but it's telling others, it's telling ourselves what's really going on here. And reminds us it keeps us grounded in Christ. Yeah. And you've done that so well for us. Uh, with just a minute here or so, go ahead and uh, give us your concluding thoughts on this today and and also how this article then, Article 15 on Church Ceremonies, connects with the rest of the Augsburg Confession and what sets up what's going to be coming next as well. Sure. Uh, I think it makes perfect sense why this article is, is where it is. It comes in between the article on order in the church, and then the next article is on civil government, so order in the civil realm. So we're talk we've been talking about order in the estate of the church. Next, you'll be talking about order in the state, in the civil realm. And so what all three of these articles teach us is that we live in an orderly world, that this world was created by a God of order who set it all in order, that this world is not a chaos, which is what the messages in our society keep telling us again and again, is that this world is chaotic, you know, whether it's evolution you're talking about, or it's just how our society is seeming to uh, function or, or not function lately. We keep getting the message that because this is a chaotic world, all you can do is sort of grab what you can by your own power, sort of, you know, if you can yell the loudest and have the most power, then you can sort of get something out of this crazy chaos that we call this world. And that's a very depressing view and very destructive view. But instead, these articles confess the reality that this world is not a chaos, even though it may look chaotic at some times, 
It is not a chaos. It is a harmony that God created this world to work in harmony. And that meant he uh, created it to work not by our power or seizing power, but by his authority and his authority that is exercised then in the church and the home and the civil realm. And these ceremonies in the church, these traditions that come from our fathers in the faith, these are ways that godly authority is exercised, again, so that there would be peace, that we could live together and be the church together in peace, and that we would have a clear teaching, clear understanding of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. Well said. And so we will pick up that order then, as you set up there for us, as we see it in the civil realm, as we take a look next week at Article 16 on the civil government from the Augsburg Confession. For today, thank you for listening to this special KFO Sherathon episode and supporting the Confession of Christ and all of its shows that we have here on KFO Radio. Thank you, dear listener, for doing that. And if you, once again, would like to continue supporting that, you can go online today to kfuo.org and click the donate button, or you can text KFUO to 41444 and you'll receive a message with a link to complete your gift there, or you can do so by phone and that phone number will be given to you by those back in our KFUO studios here in just a minute. But today, thank you also to Pastor Anthony Dodgers for joining us here on Concord Matters and teaching us this Lutheran confession of church ceremonies from Article 15 of the Augsburg Confession. It's been a great pleasure having you join us today, Pastor Dodgers. Thank you very much, Sean. It's been a lot of fun to be here and talk with you. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.